Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. The numbers aren't moving because either they are the wrong things to be measuring, or it could be they are one of the things that you could be or should be measuring, but the performance of those is so good that it becomes marginal. The vast majority of people who buy solar panels don't have any extensive training in electrical engineering, and so therefore it's all meaningless. And so instead we do what you did, which is we tend to focus on just a few things that are easy to evaluate. I've been waiting for video. It's not, I don't I think I want to make good points on audio only. No, you <laughs> just see the shock on Colin's face. That's what's motivating. Uh, I forgot what you said now. No, I didn't. <laughs> if I say it again, you need to give me another point. So Ryan, we're now doing these on video. This is amazing, isn't it? Yeah, whose idea was this, Colin? <laughs> well, it, it was my hairdressers, actually. Can you <laughs> can you can you tell they wanted to show off my my new hairstyle? Yes, looking to drum up business. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> you now get a choice. You can now watch this on video, and the intention is we're going to be putting these out on uh, LinkedIn and YouTube. Or you can just listen to us in the usual way. Uh, but we may occasionally come up with the occasional visual joke, as we've just done to those that can't see that I've hardly got any hair. <laughs> and if you can see, I've given it all to Ryan because he's got it all and it's coming out the bottom of his mouth. <laughs> That's right. I think that mostly we're looking to move into the beard video podcast appreciation space. I think there's a lot of demand out there for more bearded content. And uh, Yes. Yes. And you just didn't know all this stuff, did you? So there you go. The other good news of this week is we've got a pickle. I do love a pickle. And the pickle this week is from a, a young lady called Tonya Dunn. She's a CX professional in the insurance industry. And this is a, again, if you want to submit a pickle, a pickle is basically a problem. So what's the problem? And we always try to pick out ones that we think are applicable in other industries and across the piece. And this one, I think, is applicable. And the pickle is this. She says, Colin and Ryan, we've been trying to improve our customer experience over the last few years. We've done a number of things to try to move the numbers, but the numbers aren't moving. What should we do? As I read that, I thought, yeah, I've seen that problem before. And this would make a, a good pickle because clearly at the end of the day, you're there to move the numbers. And if the numbers don't move, then the question becomes, why are you there? <laughs> Without putting too fine a point on it. No, I, I think this is a good one because I do think it's generally applicable. A lot of people are going to find this a familiar problem. Also, there's lots of potential reasons. So I think that there's a lot we can talk about here. Yes. So, so there's definitely not one reason. Maybe let's start start this from an academic viewpoint, sure. as usual. What's happening here and what could be some of the 
theoretical reasons behind this. So there are a number of potential theoretical approaches. The, the one that jumps out at me, though, and it's honestly, it's one of my favorite topics to talk about, because I, I think that it's one of those areas of psychology that explains a lot of human behavior. It's the idea of, of reference points. So when we're evaluating anything, we're almost always doing it by comparing it to something else. It's just, that's the way the human mind works. Yep, makes sense. Nobody would say that I have a lot of hair on my head. <laughs> my hairline is receding. Unless I'm compared to Colin, at which point suddenly I'm, I'm Fabio, right? It's that way for everything. And it's that way for, for customer experiences too. People, there's no experience that is good or bad unless it's compared to something else, right? So if we want to know why our customer experience scores are not improving, why our customers aren't responding positively to objective improvements that we've made. Part of the problem might be that we just don't know what they're comparing us to. They're probably comparing themselves, and it is interesting, therefore, because it is a reference point, therefore, they're comparing themselves to last month. They're comparing themselves to a year ago. Whether they're comparing themselves to other organizations is a different cat of fish. Well, that, that's exactly it, right? So just like your customers have a frame of reference that they're using to evaluate you, internally, we also have a frame of reference, right? We are comparing ourselves to something. And so it's easy for us as an organization to say, our customer experience has been improving. And we can show that, like, we've got these metrics, we can show you how it's improving, but we're comparing ourselves to how we used to be. And so if our customers have the same frame of reference, then it's reasonable that they will draw the same conclusions. But how often do you know, like say you call into a call center, Colin, to have some problem resolved. How often is it the case that you have called into that same call center every month for the previous 18 months? So you've now got this sure. rolling reference point of how that should, or is it likely that this is the first time you've called in or the first time you've called in in three years? So the question is not what are our reference points. Like it's important for us to know that we're improving month by month. Like that's important. But what are our customers comparing us to? And it might be our own previous performance. It might be the performance of our direct competitors. It might be some experience they had in a completely different industry. We need to know what that reference point is. So when you start to think about this, there are actually two reference points. So there is the customer's reference point when they are giving you the score or whatever that score would be. Mm -hmm. And then there is the organizations, the internal reference point. So if somebody says internally, have our is our customer experience improving, they may be basing it either on numbers or even just perception, I guess. I would say there's at least a third one which is external for the organization. So how are we benchmarked against our, our competitive set? And it's not that any of these is right or wrong. They're just different perspectives on evaluating where we're at. It's kind of the only one that matters is our customers. Like what, what is it that they are using as a reference point? Yes, but it's interesting, you see, because when I read this from Tanya, I immediately thought this was a sort of an issue of how the organization was seeing themselves. Now, that may be against voice of the customer data. So in other words, surveys and everything else, where they the standard one, net promoter, has their net promoter increased or decreased or whatever it may be. But effectively, 
the organization saying, yes, our net promoter used to be 10, it is now 12. And with the work that you'd been doing, Tanya, we had thought it would be 15 or 20. But actually, it's the customer's perception giving them the 10, yeah, because they may have only gave them an eight a year ago. And I guess the environment you're talking about here is the other people in the industry. But here's the issue for me. Most organizations, in my experience, don't really look at competition from a customer satisfaction perspective. Now, I'm not saying all, but I'm certainly saying probably the majority, at least 60%. If you turn around to them and said, how does your net promoter compare with your nearest three competitors? Most people, I don't think, could tell you that. And the reason that I would say that that matters fundamentally is because I think that that's going to get closer usually to what your customers are thinking, right? So if your net promoter score is improving over time, that's great, but it's still like markedly lower than your competitors there's a decent chance your customers have some sense of that. Sure. Right. Where you've got a worse reputation for customer service than your competitors do. And so that's why you would want to benchmark. Right. But it it all comes down to what are we comparing you to? Yes. And if you reverse that for a moment. So I, I was thinking a couple of things then. One is let's talk about the evil empires in um, the shape of cable companies sure who compare themselves against other cable companies and it just becomes like a race to the bottom because <laughs> well we're not as bad as they are right <laughs> we're marginally less likely to kick you in the face yeah um, yeah but if you are a cable company and you're comparing yourself to apple that's probably you'd probably see a marked difference in the two yeah i mean from i'm not going to defend cable companies here and it's going to sound like i am i'm not Cable companies also benefit, though, from the reference point set by their industry and by all of the past experience that people have. If you have an appointment with a cable company to come and fix something in your house, they give you that like four hour window. Yes. If they show up within that window. Yes. We as customers are delighted (laughs) because we have been so conditioned as to. It's going to be bad. Uh, there's yes. a, a picture that I use in in class, which I find hilarious, where it's somebody's got a frozen pizza box right. and it's just it's covered with pepperoni and just all kinds of extra pepperoni all over the the, the picture on the box. And then they, they're holding the actual frozen pizza that they got out of the box. And it looks more or less like it did on the picture. Right. Just lots of pepperoni everywhere. This person was so delighted that the frozen pizza actually looked like what it was on the box, that they took a picture of that and (laughs) put it on the internet. Like they were so surprised, so delighted. And it's because of that expectation. It's so rare, yeah. We we all know that it's not gonna look anything like what it looks like on the box. Like frozen foods just have that reputation. So so yeah, I mean, it's a double-edged, like nobody wants to be in the space that cable companies are at. On the other hand, they have a really low reference point, and so it is pretty easy to exceed that and delight their customers if they care to. And now this is making me really think, actually, because if you think about the question, the net promoter question, 
what is your likelihood to recommend this company to a friend or a colleague? And let's just talk cable companies for the moment. Yep. I am basing that referral, if I made one, knowing the fact that actually everyone needs to have a cable company to have or oh, you need to have access to the internet. Yeah. So you could be effectively going, I'm going to refer this company because they are the best of a bad bunch. Yeah. So if a friend of mine moved into Sarasota, I would turn around to them and go, yeah, go with this company. It's not because I think they're great. It's because I've got a choice of two. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> and one of them are marginally less bad than the other one. It's a bit like politics, isn't it? You end up voting for the person that you don't want, or voting not for the person you the, don't the want. The least get. hated. The least hated person, correct. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but again, all of that is relative to kind of our, our expectations and our, our reference points. So that's interesting because it is based upon your reference points but but let's let's maybe talk a bit more about some of the other areas where i think that this sort of plays in as well can i throw in one more what related theory yeah please do to it and then we'll get to some of the, the more practical things. this is related to reference points there's this idea called evaluability uh, the evaluability heuristic which is a very fancy sounding word which essentially means that stuff that's easier to evaluate matters more pretty simple idea this trips up companies all the time, where especially technology-oriented companies, engineering-focused companies, where they're, they're making these improvements, but their customers are not in a position to really evaluate it. So if you make your, your product 10% more reliable... Let me give you an example. Can I give you an example, a live example? And I find this quite ironic, okay? So I'm sitting in England at the moment, and you know that I split myself between England and uh, Florida. Okay. I like how you say England and Florida, not England and the United States. We've got a country, and then we've got <laughs> Florida, which is kind of a planet unto itself. It exists yeah. as its own entity. Yeah. Uh, Florida's going for succession. I don't know if you've yeah. ever... Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> also, yeah. Anyway, I forgot where I was going now. Anyway, well, that's where I'm going. So one of the things I'm thinking of doing in England, which I find quite ironic, is buy solar panels. Yeah. And one of the reasons it's ironic is the sun doesn't shine as much here <laughs> as it does in Florida, okay? But there's a thing called an energy crisis over yes. in Europe at the moment. And the reason I mentioned all this to you was I got a quote from a solar panel company the other day. There was 50 million bloody things on the document. And I couldn't make head and a towel of all of the megawatts and this and that. Milliamps. And, um, yeah. Oh, it was just a nightmare, mate. And the only thing I could... And I've never really gone into this in any detail, but the only thing I broke it down to was the kilowatt hours. Yeah. How many kilowatt hours had I used and how many kilowatt hours would the system output? So I've now got a number that I can go, okay, that's simple. No, that's a fantastic example, right? So the solar panel industry, very technical, tons of brilliant people working on this stuff. And a bunch of those numbers probably matter yeah, and are probably impressive and, you know, probably are in indications of a higher quality or higher something than a competitor. But you, like the vast majority of people who buy solar panels, don't have any extensive training in electrical engineering 
And so therefore, it's all meaningless. And so instead, we do what you did, which is we tend to focus on just a few things that are easy to evaluate. So kilowatt hours has been appearing on your energy bill for decades. You have some sense of what that means. It's a number that you can easily compare. And so, yeah, that's exactly it. So looping back around to the, the original pickle, it could be that you're improving your customer experience objectively in ways that our customers just can't evaluate. And so it's not going to affect our net promoter score or whatever else, unless we allow them to evaluate it easier. Yes. So Colin, I've got a pickle. Have you recorded it? Because I only deal with pickles that are recorded. Well, that's the issue I want to address. My pickle is I'm tired of talking. I want to let our <laughs> listeners talk for a change. Great, because we've absolutely got the facility for them to do that now. All they need to do is to go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle. Hit the big red button and then they'll appear on the show. That's perfect. I'm going to go take a nap. That ties exactly into, I think, two other key points here, Tanya. That for me is like the natural extension of it. And let me give you an example, one one that's literally happened to me fairly recently. Okay. So we're doing some work with uh, with a client and they are fairly what I would call transactional. Okay. So they're, in other words, they're very sort of right brain focused, very process driven, very quality driven I'm trying to avoid the use of the word old fashioned, but <laughs> they're certainly sort of caught in a bit of a time warp. Yeah. Good. Caught in a time warp is much better than calling them old fashioned. That was, you really <laughs> saved their, uh, saved their egos with that. I did. Yeah. The way that they look at a customer experience hasn't, and this is the good thing, hasn't been particularly great. Okay. And I was chatting to them the other day and I was presenting some of our findings. We basically did a whole, sessions on how customer centric they are and all that type of stuff their uh, ceo turned around and said he said we are at the top of our game at the moment on a number of the ways that we measure ourselves yeah the increases that we can have are marginal okay because it's like 98.9 percent and stuff like that and i said yeah you may be, but the issue is, is you're measuring the wrong things. Yeah. So now let's start to measure customer emotions. Where do you think you are on that then? Well, I don't even know where we are on that then, but I guarantee they'd be bloody low. Yeah. So the issue becomes a couple of things. It becomes, well, what are you measuring? To a degree, and the point I was making there, which I hasten to add, he he totally bought into, was it's sort of like these different levels, so the evolution, if you like, and when you're or level of maturity, when you're at a certain level of maturity, the numbers that you get are really great, but you actually move up to that next level of maturity, and actually your numbers are really bad. Now that doesn't mean to say that the numbers that you were judging things upon, I don't know, things like quality of the product, delivery times, how quickly you answer the phone, basic stuff. Yeah, what I would call basic stuff. And that's what I mean by being in a bit of a time warp. 
I'm not saying those things are unimportant. It's a bit like when you go to a hotel and they go, is the room clean? And you think, bloody hell, I used to get that 30 years ago. And if the room's not clean now, that's a that's a major issue. Uh, but you shouldn't be measuring it because surely that's a given. It's a bit like them saying, did we provide a bed? <laughs> well, yeah, you provided the bed. Yeah, well done. You provided the bed. So, hey, a hotel provided the bed. That's really good news. You get the idea. So it's where, what level of maturity are you, are you looking at it from? And, and therefore, Tanya, part of the issue could be that the numbers aren't moving because either they are the wrong things to be measuring, so they are an irrelevance, yeah, or it could be they are one of the things that you could be or should be measuring, but the performance of those is so good that it becomes marginal. The improvements become marginal, and you spend all your time on trying to get that 0.1% or 0.01% improvement that is just end of the day is it's probably not worth the effort, to be totally honest with you. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I love it. I think that that's a, a great thing to consider. Like if the ex- customer experience is improved in the way that we're measuring it, it's possible that we're just measuring it wrong, right? Because our customers might be evaluating differently. Well, I think you've, without knowing it, mate, you've said another good point. Oh, but I knew you it. See, you've, you've said two good points. I can't believe it. It's incredible. <laughs> what you said was the way that we are measuring it was wrong. Yeah which actually then brings you down to actually it could be the right thing to be measuring, but the methodology that you're yeah. using also can affect the numbers. So those are, are two different potential problems, right? In the language of, you know, what I do, the language of theory, you could be measuring the wrong construct. So you're measuring the wrong idea, the wrong aspect of the experience that's not actually driving value, or you're measuring the right construct using the wrong measure. Um, and so therefore not not getting an accurate assessment. Of yes. And you just said another important thing. I, can't I hope believe you're keeping this. track of these, Colin. We need a whiteboard behind you so you can just, this is a visual medium now. You could be keeping track of my good ideas visually. Visual, yeah. And I can't believe you're coming up with all these good yeah. ideas. I, it's, I need it's, evidence. it's taken you four and a half years to get here. What's happened, mate? We've been going for four and a half years. I've been waiting for video. It's not, <laughs> I don't you think I want to make good points on audio only? No. <laughs> you can just see the shock on Colin's face. That's what's motivating. Yeah. Uh, I forgot what you said now. No, I didn't. <laughs> if I say it again, you need to give me another point. So the thing you said was, what drives value? Because part of the issue of the measurement, and again, I don't want to bore people because people hear me say this all the time, but this is a big issue, is, is the thing that you are measuring driving value or not? And when I say value, what I mean is things like, will it actually improve net promoter score if that's one of the things that drives value? Will it improve customer loyalty if that's one of the things that drives value? Will it improve increase revenue will it improve increase market share will it improve you know whatever it is that you measure preference or whatever it may be and again what we typically find is a lot of effort is put into for instance and again i'm going to go fairly basic but put into 
improving the the time to answer the phone call okay when actually customers may tell you that that's important but it's not actually people have moved on from there okay now thinking about that that is a bad example because nowadays <laughs> just answering the bloody phone would be would be quite good because of the way that customer satisfaction's got but you get the idea the the issue yeah. becomes is the thing that you are really doing driving value or not basically so a few weeks ago we had a, a podcast episode where we interviewed one of the leaders on the um the Maersk line case that we've yes that Michelle Patterson. Times. yeah and uh, and one of the the things that I, I liked about that case is um, when I've seen you talk to clients about it, um, one of the things you do is you show a whole bunch of kind of questions from the research that you ran. All of those questions were going up and down and, and you know, some of them performed well and some performed poorly. But then you highlighted like, yeah, but we then ran that through some statistical analyses to show that only some of these questions were actually related to value. And all of those questions were related to value through a set of emotions, right? And so like, it's easy to run this research and go like, oh gosh, like our whatever call times or our whatever measure is low. And so therefore that's what we're gonna focus on. But unless you do that extra step to connect it to value, it could be that it's low, but it's almost like a gear that's not connected to anything in the machine. Sure. And so therefore, as you improve it, as you get that gear to spin faster, it's not actually going to affect the output at all because it's not connected. Yeah. Uh, another example for me is we did some work with an auto insurance company and they basically said that they'd had been doing this survey. JD Power had come in and told them over the years that they needed to improve their billing. Okay. So they spent ages of lots of money and a couple of years on improving their billing systems. And like Tanya, they said, so we've spent all this money on improving our billing systems, but customer satisfaction hasn't increased. Why? Mm. And it's very simple. The answer is very simple. Customers told you the wrong thing that was annoying them. They basically said, oh, in fact, the interesting thing is I've never ever met an organization where customers say that their billing system is good. Okay. All customers say that their billing systems are bad. But they, they had told them the wrong thing. It goes back to my, my usual Disney example of, you know, Disney know when people say they'd like to go to a theme park, they'd like an option of a salad. But Disney know that people don't have a salad when they go to the theme park. So it's getting down into what truly drives value. And those are the things that you should be measuring. And those are the things that will then drive those numbers up. Because you can then start to prove things like, if you improve customers feeling cared for or valued, that will improve your net promoter score, which would improve the numbers. So um, maybe we should draw this to a close and, and just do our usual check. So to answer Tanya's question, yeah, which is, you know, we've improved our customer experience, but the numbers aren't moving. What, what are the two or three things that we think that she should do? Just headlines, what would you say? Well, I would push back even on the way that the question is framed. Like, we improved our customer experience, uh, says you. Like, are we sure that it has improved from the customer's perspective? And part of that's going to be, what are your customers comparing you to? 
if you've improved your customer experience, but all of your competitors have improved their customer experience in the same way at the same time, then you haven't had any net improvement in the marketplace, right? So what are they comparing you to? What are their reference points? The other one that, that you came up with and I'm going to steal because I'm talking first is, uh, <laughs> is around measurement. And like, are we measuring the right things, the things that according to our metrics, our, our customer experience is improving, but are those the metrics that actually drive the outcomes that we want to see in the marketplace? Yes. And the third one for me is, do the things that you end up measuring drive value? Can you statistically show that there's a connection between improving this and improvement on net promoter or whatever it is that the customer says that drives value? And if you can scientifically show that that happens, off you go and do things. In my view, the overall problem is people are improving things that don't drive value. So I'm sure Tanya has been very busy it's a bit like the billing system example. Lots of effort, lots of, I'm sure the billing system is suddenly really good. But you know what? The reality is it's a bit of a waste of money because that's not what really the customers want you to do, although you've t- they've told you. And this is the, always the irony. So we hope that's been of use. We hope that you take a look at the video. As I say, we're going to be putting this on uh, LinkedIn. We're going to be putting this on uh, YouTube as well. And we're not going to do every single podcast video, although we're hopefully moving a bit more to it. I hope I can grow a bit more hair between now and the the next one, but you never... Try growing a beard. Yeah, maybe I should do that. Maybe I should become a professor or something I found that that uh, the more of my face I cover up, uh, the the better people (laughs) respond to me. I tell you what, mate, I'm going to send you a paper bag. How about that? that, Would that work? (laughs) I worry about the the crinkles on air, but uh, yeah, I'm going to try it. (laughs) Great. Okay, mate. All right. We look forward to talking to everybody next week. Okay. Cheers, everyone. See ya. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.